0: This podcast is about the recent
1: Christchurch shooting. It does not contain any material from the shooter's video, nor does it mention the shooter's name. Hi, welcome to Newsfix from Seven News. I'm Angela Cox. Thanks for joining me.
2: We're breaking into programming across the seven network. There has been a mass shooting in New Zealand uh, in Christchurch. They say a man
3: entered the mosque wearing military gear and a large What gun I can say, say is, is that it is clear that this is one of New Zealand's darkest days.
1: New Zealand has long been considered a safe haven from terrorism, but at 1:40 p.m. last Friday, a 28-year-old Australian man changed that. He allegedly began a shooting rampage at two mosques in central Christchurch. By the time he was arrested, 49 people were dead and at least 40 more were injured. One person died later in hospital. It is an act that has shocked the entire country and drawn further attention to white supremacy worldwide and the deliberate acts of so-called lone wolves. Many of
3: those who will have been directly affected by this shooting uh, may be migrants to New Zealand. They may even be refugees here. They are us. The person who has perpetuated this violence against us is not.
1: Chris Reason is the Seven Network's chief correspondent and was dispatched to Christchurch as soon as the news broke. Good morning to you, Chris. Now, tell me, how long has it been now that you've been with Seven?
4: Too long. 30 years, Ange. It's been fantastic, but um, obviously, in that time, seen some awful things, and this rate's high among them.
1: Yeah, you have, particularly in the past few years, covered a lot of terror attacks. Here, obviously, you won a Walkley for your coverage of the Lint siege. You've covered attacks in the US, in London, in Europe. So I am really interested to get your perspective on what we saw in Christchurch. Let's start at the beginning. Um, Where were you when you heard news of what had happened in Christchurch?
4: well uh, happily i was uh, i was covering a, a far more pleasant story the um the climate change strike you know this worldwide movement for kids to leave their classrooms close their books and walk into town to um, basically be part of this uh, this climate change movement which had been a fascinating debate in itself it was a lovely you know moment of, of community um, uh, discussion going on we had everyone from the prime minister and premier saying the kids shouldn't be there and um, kids arguing that they should and some teachers supporting them it was a healthy moment full of bright bubbly gorgeous faces 11 year old girls I interviewed that uh, uh, from Newtown public school who were just delighted to be there and it was it was a, a big program some 5,000 or plus people there. And, and the atmosphere, though, was a great and positive one. And it was about halfway through that, around oh, just after midday, they got the phone call from the news desk saying that something was happening in New Zealand.
1: So at that stage, what was it that you were hearing? Um, were you hearing that there were fatalities? What were you hearing? Did you know at that stage it was a terror attack?
4: Yeah, we knew it was not a terror attack. We knew it was a, a shooting incident of some sort. There was a gunman on the loose and there had been several victims. We had no idea of numbers and certainly not of the scale and size, but we knew it was, was something extremely serious and the decision was made instantly to send... Uh, me and a crew over and then those the numbers of reporters that we decided to commit grew uh, quickly as the minutes passed and the details came in and it became clear that this was uh, something far more um, extraordinary far more, um, uh, dangerous and awful than we were expecting. We're going to go straight to the New Zealand Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, who's speaking now.
3: There is no place in New Zealand for such acts of extreme and unprecedented violence, which is, it is clear this act was. For now my thoughts and I'm sure the thoughts of all New Zealanders are uh, with those who have been affected and also with their families. My thoughts also to those in Christchurch who are still dealing with an unfolding situation. The advice from police continues to be... Well I
4: raced home, grabbed a bag, sort of the, my flyaway kit, just the, the, the standard stuff, batteries, passports, notebooks, all the things you need, a couple of changes of clothes. I mean what do you what do you pack for a mass shooting? I mean, it's it's, it's one of those um, uh, you know one of those moments, and you look at the weather, you look at the situation, you wonder how long you're going to be there. Throw it all in a bag, and then wait for the phone call giving you flight details. Now, unfortunately, the flights, um, the regular scheduled flights, had. Uh, had passed they'd gone in the morning so we had a lot of sitting around and waiting um, waiting they were deciding at one stage whether to hire a private jet to get there that was the scale and size of the importance that we were talking about of this story by late afternoon Um, instead we waited for a scheduled jet it left um, sometime after 6pm I put a voiceover down from the airport on the run um, before we went through immigration to put that to the to the, uh, to the news desk so we had uh, coverage for the 6pm news on that Friday night before we left and then the flight we eventually took was uh, at about 7.30pm. It got us there at 1 o'clock in the morning New Zealand time um, and it was a long night by the time we got to the hotel and had checked out the, um, the scene. We'd gone past several places looking for uh, a place where we could do our live crosses from for sunrise in the... Uh, only an hour or two away, and we found that, dumped our stuff at the hotel and then came back to the scene and, and, uh, and got set up. So it was a 24-hour day and off it went. Didn't stop. With exactly how the tragic events unfolded, our chief correspondent, Chris
2: Reason, begins our coverage. And while we won't show the worst of it, we must warn that much of this report is graphic and confronting.
1: What struck me, having sort of been in that position myself where you're dispatched to something without a lot of information, a lot of the time we're trying to piece those the picture together, what struck me with this one is that the shooter had drawn up this 74 page manifesto that was you know, questions in there that you and I would routinely be asked by the person on the anchor desk about trying to fill in the holes about who this shooter was, what was the, was the motivation and he had provided this and uploaded it on the internet. Was that unique for you having that time and like sifting through all of that information and having such a clear picture of what the motivation for this guy was?
4: Absolutely um, you're right normally you spend days before a terror organisation will put their hand up and claim responsibility for it and you get a little bit more insight into what the motivations may have been. With this one the um, the shooter had deliberately um, planned this uh, right down to letting the world know what his motivations, his motives were and he had that 74 page manifesto which he'd Uploaded and sent to at least seventy government and media organisations, so it was out there, including, as we later find found out, the uh, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's email address as well, her work address. So uh, everybody knew it, and we were able to quickly understand what what is what was pushing him uh, to do what he did.
1: And how quickly did the newsroom, did you, and I guess um, decide that this was actually? A terror attack, as opposed to sort of the work of a lone wolf, crazed person. Um, when did you realise this was in fact a terror attack?
4: I think it was um, well the fact that a mosque had been targeted, Islam had been targeted, um, made it fairly clear. Um, the manifesto was released within, you know, as I say, within minutes before the attack, so and was widely circulated. So we knew what his political motivations were, his political ambitions. Um, so it was it was um, it was quite clear from the outset, but with these uh, kind of uh, incidents you usually wait for it to be declared a terrorist incident by the authorities and in this case um, Jacinda Ardern had come out with on that first day and and named it so Um, and I think um, Prime Minister Scott Morrison had said something in a short time later as well saying the same thing Um, so it was pretty clear from the outset that this was the work of a terrorist. It's the worst gun attack in recent New Zealand history. Another blow to a city
2: still recovering from the 2011 earthquake when 185 people died.
3: It is clear that this can now only be described as a terrorist
2: attack. But also what will be counted as one of the world's worst hate crimes in a country known for peace and political stability. Chris Reason, Seven News.
1: The New Zealand Prime Minister uh, Jacinda Ardern. A lot of people praising how she handled the situation down there. What are your views? You were there.
4: Um, she was outstanding. She's been called the leader of our time, the leader of our ages. Um, you know, we'll have to wait for the dust to settle on this. It's, it's always in a in a highly emotional time like this. Um, it's 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 get it's difficult to get clarity. But from what I saw, this um, this leader was. Truly exceptional. On Friday, the country was lost for words. She managed to find the words. She described exactly what was going on and exactly what New Zealanders, if not the world beyond, needed to hear. She has been extraordinary on the ground physically, um, getting into mosques, uh, wearing that headscarf, um, having sympathy, having empathy. One moment we witnessed when she was in the Wellington Mosque and a woman there, absolutely lost, not even in the same city, but so impacted by it, just fell into, collapsed into Ardern's arms and wailed in front of the camera. It was it was just difficult television to watch, but again important, showing how much this community, this country, had been rocked. Ardern handled it beautifully. I've, I've I just—I've rarely seen politicians be able to do that. It's such an uncomfortable space for them to be in. I've, you know, watched across the political spectrum, across the decades. John Howard—you know—the first hugs he had to give um, after bushfires and Port Arthur—and it, it, it was always uncomfortable. Kevin Rudd as well, uh, never really able to do it. Tony Abbott—it's it, just—it's a difficult thing to do. Not criticising those people, but at the end of the day, Ardern was exceptional and. Uh, um, and obviously, we've seen the reaction to that in media and social media. She's, um, she's riding a wave right now. And, and, you know, you don't like to take anything away from her. You know, she's a politician at the end of the day. She knows what to do. But it just seemed like she transcended uh, the political moment and she was actually being something that so few politicians are. And that's human.
1: Mm. Human, genuine. Um, do you think it's because she's a woman? Do you think it's because of her age? She's really youthful. It's a new generation that are more comfortable with showing emotions and empathy and compassion?
4: Um, I don't know if it'd be as easy as that. It's a bit unfair to say just because it's a woman. Um, if I'd said just because it was a man, you'd go nuts. Um, <laughs> I think... Um,
1: fair, fair call.
4: I think um, I think she just gets it. I think she's just that person and... Uh, and you know, people have responded to that. And, and it's refreshing because so many of our leaders are trained and, uh, and scripted within an inch of their lives. They're robotic to stay on message. They can't um, ever come off script. And when real um, emotions are presented to them and real dramatic situations are presented to them, sometimes they're lost. They don't know how to handle it. In his place of worship, the hunted became the hero... Abdul Aziz
2: was at Linwood mosque praying with his four sons the Australian ran towards the gunshots and confronted the attacker
1: I saw there was a dead body with a shotgun there and I just uh, grabbed that shotgun when I pulled the trigger there was no bullet in it then I, I called him I said look come on I'm in the car, come this way, come this way I just wanted to take his focus out of from the mosque and come in the car park, even if I get shot, that's all right, as long as we could save some other life.
2: The 27-year Sydney resident putting his own life on the line.
1: I wouldn't mind to lose my life to save some more lives. I don't care. Talk me through what it was like speaking with the survivors that were in that mosque, because so often when you're on the scene like that, it's so uncomfortable. It's an awful thing to try and speak with people who have been through something so traumatic. What was your experience with that?
4: It was completely the opposite to what I've been through at every other incident. Um, normally in the Western world, particularly America, Europe, Australia, they, the authorities, the system will rally around victims and keep them away from the evil media because we're just going to exploit them and it's all too much for them and they've got to be wrapped in cotton wool and put away and, and quietly allowed to grieve. Well, that didn't happen in New Zealand. I'm still trying to search why, but... Uh, in New Zealand, we not only had the people come forward from around the community, the neighbours, the witnesses, happy to speak, wanting to speak. Then we had the, v- the victims' uh, families come forward, and again, happy to talk it through about whoever might have been lost or injured and in their family. They wanted to, the world to know their feelings. They wanted to know how they, uh, how they saw the situation. And then on top of that, we actually had victims themselves talking. Yesterday, Carl Pomery was on this road even before the
2: police, driving by chance straight into the carnage. He saw people running. And they were running for their lives. And then a few seconds afterwards, we heard rapid fire. They stopped, tried to help, saw the killer stare at them, then turn away. It could have been you. It could have been us, Carl yeah. came back with flowers as did so many locals, adding to the multiple floral tributes sprouting citywide. Before you go over to that shrine, can we just ask you why you had to come down here today, why it was so important? It's
3: heartbreaking. It's, and not only that, I just wanted to show
2: compassion and love. And respect, sympathy, solidarity. Nothing's shaken Christchurch like this. It's hard, yeah. Really hard. You gonna be okay?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be okay.
2: That victim was found at the Al Noor Mosque as police tried to clear the last of the bodies. <laughs> Muhammad Tofazal told how the gunman was executing everyone around him. He fell to the floor.
3: I was really scared. I just, like, lay down on the floor.
2: A 12 year old boy was nearby hysterical he pulled him to the floor too
3: i'm pretty sure he's
4: alive you know you saved his life
3: i'm not sure but i'm trying to
0: help him
4: fellows that have been under a pile of bodies one minute uh, and 24 hours later happy to talk about the experience and, and share with the world, share with the world exactly what they were feeling and why they might have had anger or not had anger, what they were feeling towards the gunmen or not, what they thought would be the future or not. Serious, substantive questions that they weren't shying away from. Now, is it the Muslim community, so together, so dignified, so able to do that themselves... Was it the fact that they were a small community? Was it the fact they're from New Zealand? What is about? What is it about this country? I'm not sure which of the factors it is that made that set of survivors slash victims so much more resilient and able to deal with the media than in any other situation I've seen over the last couple of decades. Uh, I'm, I haven't got my finger on it. For instance, we were sitting there at one stage at uh, doing sunrise crosses one morning, and the... Family victims were in a, a community centre, Hagley uh, Community uh, College, I think it was called, across on the other side of the park. They had to walk across the park uh, beside our satellite dishes and across the road to the hospital to visit their families. And they were, instead of walking around us, they would walk up to us, they would sometimes stop, listen to the end of the cross, and then introduce themselves and want to have a chat. Tariq Chanafa bears the scars of his terrifying encounter.
2: They have the bum and then bum-b-b-b-b-b-b-b. I know, this is machine gun. Someone just has come to get us so this is i was like just close to the window just say i smashed the window and then i got out hobbling distraught but alive and len penaha who helped five terrified people scale his fence to safety really i'm no hero i just i was there that's all and i
4: tried to help i just wish i could have helped more they were exceptional and I, i you know i don't think there's a problem with that i think Sometimes people want to reach out to the community and they want to talk, despite them being a victim, a family member of a victim, a witness, whatever it might be. I think the West has grown too quick to wrap these people in, in, uh, into small, private, you know, windowless rooms and keep them away from everybody, when sometimes perhaps there is um, a need for people to communicate with their community.
1: I, I don't expect you to be able to look into a crystal ball here, but this white supremacy this white nationalist hate attack that we saw in Christchurch is this something the start of a wave do you think is this something that we're going to see more of
4: I would think not I would think that that certainly I'm not trying to downplay the the, the, the potential of the threat but I think um, I think that now that authorities have been given this massive wake-up call something that the Muslim community has been saying for years they they have seen it growing they have felt it uh, on the fringes they have been abused and spat at. And, you know, they've had the reaction of all through the years of, of every single incident that's happened that's had nothing to do with them and they get blamed for. They've seen the rise of the right. They've seen extremism from the other end coming towards them. And so it's no surprise to their community. And these are the ones I've been speaking to. But it might well have been a bit of a surprise to our intelligence agencies and our government. Now I think they will certainly be, you would hope, swinging around to try and get on top of that and try and put, you know, as many resources onto the problem of white nationalism as they do onto the problem of Muslim extremism. And, uh, and you would think now it is well and truly carved a place on their radar and they will have to address it because it's a massive issue.
0: Chris
1: Reason, thank you so much for your time and. Um, the newsroom and viewers are always happy to know that you're the one leading our coverage. We know we're in safe hands. Thank you for your amazing reporting down in Christchurch.
4: Thanks, Angela. Pleasure. Good luck with the podcast.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi.
1: And that is your News Fix for this week. Our first of the Seven Network's weekly news podcast where we will dig a little deeper and go behind the headlines with some of the network's most experienced news people. News Fix is produced by Seven West Media. Supervising producer is John Buck. Our executive producer is Nikki Hamilton. And the director of news and public affairs is Craig McPherson.